before Nathan comes up to continue our series in Acts, uh, we are a church who believes in a God who hears our prayers, uh, and we're going to do that now. So just to, um, so that you don't just sort of hear me pray, and I, as I pray, I give you information about the prayer that I'm giving, and then somehow it's, then you're informed about the prayer. I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to pray about, and then I'll pray for it. So firstly, uh, we are part of a, a group of churches in the city of Maroondah reaching this area for the glory of Christ. And there's a new church plant just around the corner from us, actually, at the Montrose Community Centre that's starting. Uh, that is a satellite church plant from Red Church. If Red Church is a church out in Blackburn led by Mark Sayers. Um, and anyway, there's a guy called Peter Evans and his wife. They're planting this new church. They have a bunch of people that live in the Montrose, Kilsyth area already. Um, and so we're going to pray for them um, as they launch. Uh, officially, they'll launch in four weeks' time. Uh, we're going to pray for the success of that launch, uh, and we're going to pray for that uh, gospel ministry. Uh, next, I'm going to be praying for the Safe School program. As you know, you've probably read about it. There's been debates all around it, um, but also the reality of what it's going to affect here in Victoria. I'm going to be praying for that. Um, and then we're going to pray for Jason and Kim Job, particularly their 21-year-old nephew, Aaron. Um, he was uh, sent to emergency hospital with um, bleeding in the brain, um, but some wonderful news came in yesterday uh, that God was gracious to wake him up and he's responding uh, and he's uh, at the moment looking well but just for, for him and for his family for the road ahead. And finally we'll pray for us as a church. So would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gospel. We want to thank you for the wonderful reality that you remind us that your gospel is a spreading, it's at work. And Lord, we thank you that we are part of that work here in the city of Maroondah and particularly here in Kilsyth. We want to thank you for the faithful ministry of Red Church in Blackburn. We thank you that their heart is to proclaim the gospel, to multiply and raise up disciples to continue your work. We pray for Pete and his wife as they plan to here in Montrose. We pray for a great blessing on them, that you would continue to provide core leaders and a core team to join in your mission in reaching this area for your glory. We pray that you provide uh, the right leaders to join them, the right people to just help start up this ministry. We pray that you protect them as well as they serve you and proclaim the gospel. Help Peter and his wife and, and the rest of the team to stay faithful to the gospel in this area. And we pray that we will pray for them often and love them and serve alongside them. Uh, that your name would be glorified. We pray that you'll multiply that church, that people will come to know you uh, through that ministry at Red Church. Father, you know uh, the safe, safe School program. You know the heart of this program and the people that have developed it. You know what's driving it, and ultimately it's not for your glory or for your fame. We pray particularly right now for the Premier Daniel Andrews and Education Minister James Merlino. Father, our heart and prayer is first that they will come to know you as their Lord and Saviour. Because in knowing that, that's what will shape how they view things and particularly how they serve in this role. We ask that you would move in their hearts not to decide for the parents uh, as the parents send their little ones to schools. But the decision will lay at the heart of the parents what the parents decide to do with this. We pray for the schools who maybe be challenged or maybe encouraged to introduce this program, that you would give them great wisdom and discernment. And we pray particularly uh, for the schools in our area who will be affected by it. 
and pray for our current chaplains in these schools, that you would enable them to stand strong to their convictions, but gracious in the words that they say. And Father, we pray for the hearts of the students that are involved in these schools. Father, we as Christians are called not to be bullies at all. And despite whatever our beliefs are, we are not to bully people into our beliefs. And so we pray that you would help us as Christians in these students to stand strong for the gospel. But also we pray that they will stand against bullying of any sort, of any kind. We do pray for kids who are being bullied in our schools. Father, this is a sad reality in this broken world that we live in. We pray that you would be their comforter, their protector, and that you would meet their needs. Jesus, we ask that the children in our schools that are connected here at Canterbury Gardens and um, other schools, more than anything else, we pray that they will comprehend that their identity is not based on a label that culture or society may put on them. Rather, what is defined, what, who defines them is you, that they are image bearers of yours. We pray for the Christ followers and kids who call themselves as Christians, that you would help them to be boldly standing for you, but also lovingly responding in these challenging times. Pray for our parents as they um, encourage and teach their kids to be ambassadors and witnesses in these schools. Pray that the parents will stand strong to their own convictions and stand firm for the faith. So we pray that your will be done in this area, that your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, we want to thank you for the good news to hear that Aaron is doing well. We praise you that you've heard our prayers and we thank you for your gracious hand in that. We thank you that he's woken up and we thank you that his parents are seeing this as your hand at work. We pray that you'll continue to bring full recovery to his limbs, to his body as he responds to the treatment. We pray for the neurosurgeons and others who will be involved in the days ahead, that you give them wisdom and give them great grace. And Lord Jesus, we pray for us. We pray for us as a church that our love may abound more and more with the knowledge and discernment, that we may prove what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we pray that you will fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through you to the glory and praise of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite Nath to come up. Well, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. I'm Nathan, for those of you who don't know me, and I have the privilege today of opening God's Word. And uh, I do consider that a, a great privilege. We're going to be looking at a, a portion in Acts chapter 3 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, we've got some, if you don't have a Bible, come and grab one or or slide to your Bible, grab your electronic version, whatever. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3. I'll be reading from uh, the ESV version. Before we do that, I don't know uh, what you were thinking as we were singing this morning. But one particular verse captivated me in light of what we'll be discussing today. It was the last verse of the last song that we sang. And the words of the verse were this. When this passing world is over, we will see you face to face. And forever, we will worship 
Jesus, you are all to us. Is that a constant reality in your heart? I hope it is. Because we've been instructed in God's Word to to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And whatever we go on in this life, through life circumstances, whatever happens, we have this sure promise that when it's over, we'll see our Lord and our Savior face to face. That thrills my heart. I hope it thrills yours. And as we look at this morning's passage, as we look at Acts 3, I think that will be a reality. That Christ, the risen Savior, who's ascended to heaven, we one day will see face to face. Hallelujah, what a Savior. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and we'll read the first uh, 10 verses together. Let's read. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What an absolutely wonderful story. And last week we started looking at the the new community known as the church and the, the things that they were involved with. They were in community, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. And we noticed last week as this new community flourished, remember it was from 120 disciples to 3,120 disciples overnight. Now that could be a hint for a church planting organization, right? We should call the church planting organization perhaps 120 to 3120, or 120 to 3120 to 8120. I struggle with sort of Acts 29 that's trying to add something to the Bible. Let's get back into the Bible, you know. I need joking there, Shubs. I knew you might get that. But, you know, this is amazing church plant. It was a, a mega church. 
formed overnight. And they were in this community. And the Lord was adding to their number daily. Notice that. In the end of chapter 2. Even though this activity was going on, who was doing the adding to the church? The Lord. The power of His message through the resurrected Christ. He was adding to the number day by day. You see, at this point, the, the, the church was a, a solely and wholly a Jewish in its membership. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, it was in the temple courts. He was addressing the men and women of Israel and saying, come to faith in Christ, the Messiah whom you have crucified. And this new community were incredibly true to their Jewish heritage. And yet, they were committed to the task of winning their fellow brothers to Jesus the Messiah. How do we know that from those very few verses at the end of Acts chapter 2? We see the testimony in verse 47. That they were praising God in the very next phrase and having favor with all the people. This community was so impactful that as others looked upon, they could see the light of the Messiah. They could see salvation through Christ alone. So in their home meetings, they were there as a sort of a place of renewal. They could get involved in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and a, and a deep table fellowship. And the fellowship that went across the boundaries because they actually started selling all things in common to feed one another. And they continually did that, as we talked about last week. And they remembered the Lord through just a simple meal. And you can imagine the scene as the apostles taught and said, you know, these symbols are symbols of the Messiah, the suffering servant who has now rose and is ascended to a place on high. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And I think the devotion to prayer was not just only formal prayer, because as we read, as we read here, they were going up to the temple on a daily basis to pray. It's a formal element of prayer, but also an incredible spontaneity in prayer as well within their gathered community. You see, I think for the new church, their house meeting, their homes meeting was a great place for devotion and fellowship and community. And they saw the temple as a place of witness. They saw the temple as a place of witness. And we also see later in these chapters that the Sanhedrin, the council that overlooked the temple, became a place for defense. This is the reality of the new community. They devoted themselves in their own homes. They saw the temple as a primary place of witness. And then the Sanhedrin became a place of defense. We're introduced to Peter and John. They're together here, two of the apostles, and they were going up to the temple on the, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, for us, that is about three o'clock in the afternoon. 
uh, in temple worship, they would uh, have two times of prayer, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. So Peter and John were heading up in the afternoon. Now, just sort of show you this. This gives you some idea of uh, Jerusalem at the time of Christ. This is a fantastic 50 to 1 model. Okay, It's uh, in a place in Jerusalem called the, um, the Shrine of the Book, where also the Isaiah scrolls are there from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see that pointy building in behind. But this is looking uh, from the west over Jerusalem. And see where the arrow is. Can you miss that red arrow? Or can you all see the red arrow? Yeah, good. Okay, I'm glad. You see where the red arrow is pointing? That's the Temple Mount. That's where Herod's temple was. As you can see, in relation to the rest of Jerusalem, it's a significant space. So likely, uh, Peter and John, uh, they they probably went in the west side and they came into the the temple. Here's a, a closer look of this particular model. As you see, it's a fabulous model, incredibly detailed. And um, if I had a pointer, you can see the, the larger structure there being the inner sanctum of the temple. This is from the east side, looking back to west. So they came into there, and this is the area where they met the lame man. Begging for arms, begging for money, begging for food, begging for anything that would sustain his life. In the New Testament, it's called the beautiful gate. Uh, It's the only time in the New Testament we have that term used. Uh, It's also known as the Corinthian or the Nicanor gate. Now, there were one of... Ten gates, as you, you can see some of them on the northern side there, that entered the, the sanctuary. The sanctuary is behind that gate where the, the major building and structure is. In front of that gate is the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of men, etc. So it was a general gathering place that uh, people would gather before going into the sanctuary for prayer. So this is geographically where we're sitting, inside Uh, this area. As I said, they were going up for prayer. It's one of the the formal times in the day that they would go for prayer. According to Numbers 28, also at this time, the, the burnt offering would be sacrificed. A lamb was required to be sacrificed in the morning and in the evening. If you looked at Numbers uh, 28, 3 to 8, you would read this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food, for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at the appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs, a year old without blemish, day by day, as a regular offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So this is the thing that's going on in Jerusalem. Judaism is just rocking along. Even though we've had Pentecost, we've had 3,000 come to know the Lord, many gather to the temple on a daily basis. And Peter and John are there. And they see a beggar who's crying out to them. 
And he's asking, give me some alms. Now, alms giving was quite a significant thing for an uh, Orthodox Jew. It was the responsibility of everybody to take it quite seriously. And as you gave to somebody, it was an expression of the compassion that God had given to you. So the very fact he was asking for arms is not insignificant. It's a current practice and the response people would give arms. But Peter and John had none. They had nothing to give. They had no silver. They had no gold. But they command this man to look at them. They missed the command. They gazed at him and they said, look at us. Look at us intently. Look at us as though you're looking at nothing else. Because we have something we want to say. And the man fixed his gaze back on Peter and John. He fixed his gaze. And then Peter and John said, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. This is command language. This is not, in the name of Jesus, if you think it's okay, just try and take a step or two. Peter and John with full authority. Peter in this instance is saying, it's in the name of Christ, the risen Lord of Nazareth. Get up, rise up and walk. Imperative. It's a command. And what was the response? What was the response? Did it take some time? It immediately happened. He immediately got to his feet and he was immediately made strong. The verb made strong there is is not used often in the New Testament. It's used on three occasions and you have it here and a little bit further down in the account in chapter 3. It means just to render physically firm. To make strong, and, and Peter later in the account actually act, uh, adds that he was made strong and he was in perfect health. So this is a miracle of immediacy. It happened directly as the words fell out of Peter's mouth. And there was an immediate result. An immediate and lasting result. That's the nature of the apostolic miracles that we see throughout of Acts. It's the nature of a special thing God had given these men to be able to perform such signs and wonders. And what was the lame man's response? Isn't it beautiful, this response? Leaping and walking and praising God. What a response. This man had been crippled from birth. We don't know, we don't know how old he is. The text doesn't tell us. But we know he has for some time had this infirmity. 
He's never had the joy of taking his first steps. He's never had the joy of standing upright. He has to be carried to this place daily to, to beg for money. And by the power of God, he is transformed immediately. And he leaps and he walks and he acknowledges from whom the miracle came. Didn't come from Peter and John, did it? The text tells us he acknowledged who the miracle came from. It came from God. This astounds me, this particular section, and I'll tell you why. Because I think with this increasing awareness of the man, of this miracle, for the first time in his life, he was able to enter into the place of worship. For his whole life, he had sat in the, outside the gate, outside the place that was designated to where you could worship God. See, he wasn't allowed in there because according to the laws in Leviticus, etc., he was denied access because of his infirmity. He is considered blemished. His condition of being lame barred him from entry into a place of worship. So day by day, he would sit outside this gate. Can you imagine what would go through his mind? What would it be like to be worshipping inside that place? Yet on this day, it's different. On this day, it's incredibly different because what he thought he was asking for, silver and gold for daily substance, all of a sudden becomes spiritual gold. Because his access is opened up by the grace of God. You see, he not only received physical healing, but he had found spiritual acceptance as well. For the first time, through an act, a complete act of God's grace, he was deemed worthy to enter the house of worship. Hence, he leaped and he walked and he hung on to Peter and John and proceeded to worship. Folks, I don't know where you're at in your life before the Lord. We're going to talk about this a lot today. Are you distanced from Him? You may know about Him, but do you disown Him by your actions? Have you experienced the miracle of new birth? Have you experienced the grace of God in your life? Where you too, like the lame beggar, can turn and have immediate access into God's throne room. As the Bible tells me, it's by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. That's the beauty of this message, and that's what we see so clearly here. This man had no ability to get inside, did he? On his own. It wasn't until God's grace flooded into his heart. Through Jesus Christ, 
that now he's in a new position. A position of full acceptance in the name of Jesus. And this is wonderful as we will read throughout the book of Acts. We'll see this consistent theme go on. Those who were rejected and and unworthy for worship in the old religion of Israel were now being found to have full acceptance through the work of Christ. I hope that's your experience, that you understand what full acceptance is. That you understand your position in Jesus by God's grace. And we'll talk further about that as we go through the balance of this chapter. So what was the crowd's response? This particular miracle wasn't done in isolation, right? It was a busy time. It would be like Burke Street at 9 o'clock in the morning. No, probably 9, 9 o'clock in the morning. Probably Flinders Street at 9 o'clock in the morning. Lots of people. It was busy. It was the hour of prayer. Sacrifices were being offered. Worship was being offered. There were a lot of people mingling around. They would have seen this fellow many, many times at the Corinthian Gate, at the Nicanor Gate, begging for money. But all these people saw him walking and praising God. And they also were filled with, look at the words, wonder and amazement of what had happened. They too couldn't correlate. How, how all of a sudden is this lame, blemished person all of a sudden walking, leaping, and praising God? They were confounded by it and amazed. Confounded and amazed. This is the only time in the New Testament these two words are used together. And I think it's uh, a very fitting way of describing what they saw. Because it describes in a way that these folks were actually emotionally attached to what they had seen. They were impacted by the experience. They knew something was going on that they couldn't explain. And this caused their wonder and amazement. So let's see what happens with the rest of the story. Reading from verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, and we'll go through to chapter 4, verse 4. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As we, by our own power or piety, have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had had, uh, decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you 
And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until this time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up to you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Peter is constrained to turn and talk to his fellow countrymen. He laments that they do not understand that this miracle is from God. He asks them a rhetorical question. Well, is it because of our own piety or is it through our own power that we made this man walk? That's the questions he asks and then he goes from there down to verse 18 to explain, no, not through our own power or our own piety or, or whatever it might be. Piety means holiness, by the way, in case you didn't know what that meant. Piety means to be holy. And so no, it's not because of any of that. It's through Jesus and faith in his name. You yeah, said so they'd moved from the inner court to Solomon's portico or colonnade, some versions take it. So it's on the east side of the Temple Mount. They've moved out of the temple. The crowd followed, and this is the place where uh, Peter delivered this sermon. Just a couple of observations about this. It's very similar to the sermon we read in chapter 2 from Peter. As you're aware, in the book of Acts, um, 
30% of all material relates to some form of sermon. Things eight by Peter, there's nine by Paul, and there's a few others by you know, Stephen, and etc. So a large part of this book is sermonic. And uh, it is important to understand that who Peter is addressing. He's addressing all those inside this temple court. He addresses them as men of Israel. And then he goes in and he starts providing an answer to why the crowd was so amazed and why they were in utter astonishment at what had happened. And he immediately puts them on track by saying, you're in utter astonishment. Let me tell you the purpose of this miracle. And he starts with who? God. I talk to you about God, the Abraham, the father of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He is the one who has initiated this miracle because he has glorified his servant. This is the first time in Acts I think we we have this term related to Jesus. He's glorified his servant Jesus. And then he continues to lay out to the people, you men of Israel, these are the charges which I have against you. His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. So they not only handed him over to Pilate, they also disowned him or denied him. Because Pilate had decided to release him. So verse 13 tells us, if we read through the Gospel of Luke, we see that. Pilate had determined to release him. He found no fault with him. But the constant pressure of the Jewish nation says, no, we, we, we don't want this man. Verse 14 starts also with, the, uh, he denied the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer. So you see, disowning and denial is at the heart of the charges against the people. They ask for Barabbas. They ask for a murderer to be granted. And you killed the author of life. How's that for irony? You asked for a murderer and yet the author of life was standing in front of you. And you tried to kill the author of life. Not tried to, you did. You caused his death. So those are the four charges that he lays at the people's feet. You handed Jesus over, you disowned him, you asked for a murderer and you caused his death. And notice the names that Peter uses of Jesus in this little portion. They're beautiful names. He calls him God's servant. That's an allusion back to Isaiah 53. It talks about Jesus who would suffer as a servant for our sin. He calls him the Holy One. 
He calls him the righteous one. He calls him, calls him the author of life. And a little bit further down, he calls Jesus a prophet like Moses. And he's directing this appeal to the people. And he gives a response. The only way this man has been made well is because of the name of Jesus and faith in his name. Now I reckon that the perfect health there not only talks of physical, it talks of physical and spiritual. And then Peter does something really interesting. And I see God's grace all over this. Peter says, when this happened, you were ignorant. When this happened, you didn't understand what you were doing. When this happened, you and your rulers were ignorant that you were crucifying your Messiah. But don't worry, because God foretold that. God had said through the prophets and through through the prophets that this Christ would suffer and it has been fulfilled. You see, this really just starts to tap on the, the mystery of divine sovereignty working through the tragedy born out of human freedom to bring about God's eternal purposes for salvation of humanity. Because we read earlier in Acts 2 that it was by God's divine plan that Christ went to the cross. And yet here we read that human freedom has killed the author of life. It's that tension. And it's a mystery. And I'm not going to explain that to you right here and now. Accept it by faith. That's what it is. It has to be an element of faith. Because that's the thing. The faith in Christ's name that healed the man and that saves us. He then continues. And he charges them. He said, God's grace is offered to you. God's grace is offered to you even though you have murdered the author of life. In your ignorance, God's grace has been offered. And there's a requirement. Two things, two commands. Repent and turn so that your sins may be blotted out. What an amazing offer. Incredible offer. Which can only be described as God's gracious act. Can only be described in that way. I want you to have a think about that. 
because that's the same grace that is offered to you and I. Now, in your life, uh, are you feigning ignorance about the things of God? Are you feigning ignorance about who Christ is and what he has done on your behalf? Are you disowning him? Your lifestyle, are you disowning him? Just in your everyday life, not acknowledging his lordship or his hope. Because if you're in that position, you can turn and you can repent. And that is wonderful hope. And you know what happens when you turn and repent? Your sins are blotted out. This term is used of, in the old days, they used to write on uh, parchment, goat skins, animal skins. And if they used to make a mistake, they used to grab a little solution and, and blot on top of the skin, take out the words, because the, the ink would not penetrate through the skin. This is the term that's been used here. This is what your sin will be. It will be blotted out. It won't be seen. It will be remembered no more. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about it will be removed as far as the east is from the west. That's God's grace, folks. That's God's grace. And it's marvelous grace. It's marvellous. So what can we learn from this portion? The balance of chapter I haven't even got to. I can give you a two-minute summary. What happens there is he charges the people to turn and to repent. And we know from the end that 5,000 are saved. So obviously 5,000 people turn and say, yes, we understand that salvation is through the Messiah, through Christ alone and by faith in his name. There's some interesting verses here in 2021. 20, talks about, because he's talking to the nation, he's talking to the people. He says, as you turn and repent, times of great refreshing will come and restoration of all things. And when this happens, Christ will return, as spoken by the prophets. And then he uses Abraham as the primary target here. And he says, look, this is only showing you that God is faithful to his promise. Right from the beginning, when God made promises to Abraham, he said, through you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. How? Through the seed of Abraham. How? Because Christ came. How? Because Christ offers salvation. We are all blessed because of that. And he makes a point in 26 and, and saying all this, all these promises from times past have been seen in Jesus. And God's raised up his servant. He's raised up Christ. He sent them to you first. And, and as you go through the literary flow of Luke and Acts, which is one, one book, if you like, you see that consistently, that Christ came to Israel, proclaiming the kingdom. 
And what happens tragically from this point on, up to about chapter 8, the focus changes because the nation rejects. And the time of the Gentiles and the plan of God happens. The spread of the gospel beyond Jerusalem starts to happen and, and it ends up in Rome as you go through Acts, the center of civilization at that time. And he explains that God has had a plan. And realize that before you is Christ, the only way of salvation. And as you can imagine, as we read the start of chapter 4, this upset some of the religious leaders. So they come and grab them. The result of this persecution, the result of this particular first aspect of antagonism towards the gospel at this point in time was that 5,000 were added. And you'll see that as a consistent theme as well as we go through the book of Acts. Every time persecution occurs, flourishing and outpouring of God's Spirit occurs and people are saved. So this morning, my question to you, have you turned to Christ? Have you repented of your sinful ways? Do you clearly understand that Christ is the only way of salvation by faith in his name? It's a gift of God's grace. We can sit in these churches for years and not understand that reality. I pray that God's Spirit will convict within your heart so that you may understand and know the simplicity and the great wonder of the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray and the music team will come up and we'll sing our last song. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this powerful story. A powerful story of a lame man, a beggar, who had no way of entering into your presence. And yet a miracle was wrought. A miracle of significance as he was physically healed and spiritually healed. As he turned and worshipped you. Father, I pray upon our hearts today that as we look at the reality of Christ, the reality of his love, the reality of his grace, that we too will turn that we too will repent, that we are disowning you. Father, we pray that your grace will abound in our hearts. We pray not just only in our salvation, but through every aspect of our day. We thank you for these words of encouragement. We thank you for your great love to us. And, O oh Lord, how long we see you face to face.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.